1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's get into this here. Now, um, as we've been going through this book, verse by verse, chapter, chapter here on Sundays, which we love to do, Paul's been addressing uh, some issues that have been going on in the church, issues that have been developing that have been bringing in kind of division and disunity. This has been sort of a, a dysfunctional bunch in a number of ways. They've been suing one another. There's been sin in the church that they've just been going, oh, well, it just shows the grace of God all the more. Uh, there's been disorder in their gatherings as there's been that kind of disunity or, or you know, uh, challenge of, of authority and submission between uh, you know, husbands and wives, men and women. Uh, there's been uh, abuse taking place at the Lord's Supper we talked about last week where they've been coming and, and enjoying this common meal together that was to be for the, the benefit of, an, of one another. But some were pigging out, some were getting drunk at this meal. Then they go to communion and they have no idea what they're doing. They're just sloshing things back again and not remembering what it's all about, which was pointing to Jesus Christ. Things have been just in disarray, disorder, division has been coming in. And now in chapter 12, Paul gets into another area now that's been dysfunctional, that's been bringing about division and disorder. And this time, it's regarding and revolving around spiritual gifts. There was a lot of confusion there in the church, as there can be at times, a little confusion today regarding the role of the, the Holy Spirit. What part do, do the operation of gifts play in the church today and in, in Christian lives today? Well, Paul's gonna take some time. This was a big one because he's gonna be taking the next three chapters to really center in on these things. And so we're gonna be in this for I don't know how long. Uh, we'll be a few weeks here going through this important topic of the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and spiritual gifts. It's an exciting study to look at. I hope and pray and trust that you will all think the same way after we're done. But uh, here's a couple things that we're gonna be looking at in these, we're only gonna get into first seven verses here today, but Paul's gonna be dealing with ignorance, again, uh, some confusion, uncertainty, questions people had, dealing with ignorance, but then also dealing with individualism, verses four to seven. That's how we're gonna be breaking this passage down. We read in verse one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So again, remember, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to address certain things, but he's writing to address these things because they've been kind of brought to his attention. People have come with questions regarding things that were going on in the church. And so Paul is taking time, and you'll see that phrase oftentimes at the beginning of a chapter saying, now concerning this, concerning this issue that you're dealing with, concerning this, and now Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. So he's answering and responding to this this question and doubt or uncertainty that people had regarding the operation of gifts taking place in the church there at Corinth. Now what's interesting is, if you got a New King James Version like what I like to read from here, the word gifts in the first verse is in italics, which means whenever that's in italics, it means that it's not in the original text or manuscript. This has been added, but it's implied because of the context that we see. We know that Paul is gonna be addressing gifts. This is not a stretch to say, but what this really reads then in the original Greek is that now concerning spirituals. It's, it's regarding spiritual things that Paul is addressing here. It, it, some have, have said it could be spiritual things, spiritual people, but ultimately and specifically it's just saying now concerning spirituals. And that's important because these Corinthians, they've had a lot of experience 
with spiritual things, not just within the church, but before they got saved. You see, back in this day, and there weren't many, many atheists walking around. Everybody kind of believed in, in something, whether it was a false god or the one true god, they would offer up idols to things, and so they see all around them spiritual practices that are going on. And spiritual effects. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20, rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Paul realized that there was a, a, a real kind of relationship that people could get into in spiritual things that weren't always good and weren't always of God. So Paul's plea here is that they would not be ignorant in these things. They've been lacking a proper understanding of what is a healthy, healthy view regarding spiritual things and, and what is not healthy. They've needed help in these matters. And remember, Paul's speaking to the church, to Christians, because he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. When he said we're brethren, he's referring to the believers there at the church at Corinth. So this is not something that he's speaking to those that are sort of on the outside wondering about these things. It's those that are on the inside that have already begun to have kind of an exercise and an experience of these spiritual matters. They've already had it before they were saved regarding uh, not good spiritual things, but now they're seeing it exercised in the church and they're wondering what's right, what's good here. And for many today, there's still a, a confusion regarding the role and the function of the Holy Spirit, spiritual things regarding our lives. To some, he's kind of like that mysterious entity of the Trinity. He's kind of like the silent partner of the Trinity. It's like, well, we know he's there, but we don't know much about him. We kind of focus on Jesus and, and upon God. We, we pray to the Father, we pray through Jesus Christ. That's who we focus on. But the Holy Spirit's kind of like that silent partner. We're not really too sure you know, what's that all, what that's all about and, and whether or not I'm even feeling comfortable entering into that kind of relationship. And so he sometimes gets dismissed. And he gets dismissed as sort of this, you know, impersonable force. But can I just say that the Holy Spirit is completely God and he's not an impersonable force, but a personable person that wants to be in relationship and in fellowship with you who has been given to our benefit to empower us and lead us and to live out this Christian life, we need the Holy Spirit today, my friends. Regardless of what view you have regarding spiritual things, gifts of the church, and we're gonna spend time talking about all these things, and I hope you'll continue to, to stick around to hear all these things, but regardless of what your views towards these things, I think we can all agree on the fact that we need desperately the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. You know, A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Oh, that is very true, my friends. I wonder how often we would just continue on like some machine that we can manufacture what we do and do so without the Holy Spirit. Are we living, relying upon the Holy Spirit to where the Holy Spirit was withdrawn? We'd go, oh boy, I can't even move forward now. There's nothing we can do because we need the Holy Spirit. 
We have an incredible blessing, my friends, of being able to have that personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. At the moment of salvation, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, that, that when we believe the Holy Spirit now is in us, and he's that seal, that guarantee of more to come, that God who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he continues to work in us, and that Spirit is in us now as that seal and guarantee that we're his, we're, we're children of God. So he dwells in us, but we need a daily filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's written in, in the imperative as a command. It's written in the present tense, meaning this is to be an ongoing filling in your life. And this is written in a sense where it's not you that can do it. It's God that needs to do that work in you as we just open ourselves up as, as his uh, vessels that he operates through. But we need to be filled daily, ongoing. It's an ongoing work we need. For some, the Holy Spirit is present. In some, he is not, though preeminent. Though he is resident in all believers, to some, he's not president. He's not the one that's leading, that's governing in the life of the believer. It becomes a real difference maker. We need the Holy Spirit. Paul continues to say in, the, in verse two, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Again, here's Paul reminding them of the past that they've experienced. They've, they've been involved in spiritual things before when they were led away to, to dumb idols. And when he calls them Gentiles, it's this idea like, man, you were pagans before. You were far from God. You were doing things that were not godly, but you were experiencing these things around idols like we read in that verse Paul says I don't want you to have fellowship with demons because that's what comes out of of idolatry oftentimes so they're ones that had experienced these things now to be carried away to dumb idols Paul's not just kind of referencing idols as you know these are stupid idiotic dumb what's the matter with you guys he's referencing that these are are mute idols they they can't speak there's no life in there's, there's There's nothing that these idols can possibly offer you. You get nothing back. They're empty. They're, it's all in, in vain that you would ever worship or, or sacrifice to these idols. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant in these things. They do nothing for you. But now we come into a living relationship with God through the working of the Holy Spirit in us to where he communes with us. He speaks to us through his word. We have a vibrant living relationship with him. And that, again, comes about through the Holy Spirit active and resonant in our lives. Paul says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. You were once led down that way but it's to look very different for you now as a believer. You know, ignorance can be very bliss when you're not aware of how many calories that hot fudge brownie is, uh, you know, containing, right? And it's the same for us. There, there are things that we don't want you to be ignorant of here. We want you to be ignorant of, uh, of biblical directives. We don't want you to be ignorant of the things of the Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant that, you know, my birthday's next month, but there's are things that we don't want you to be you know, in the dark over. We want you to be aware of these things. So, so these Corinthians were, were familiar with spiritual things, but again, it wasn't all good, right? Their, their experiences now with spiritual matters 
should look very different than it once did, as Paul points out in verse 2, when they were carried away into pagan practices. So how would this church know what's truly of the Spirit? What is a genuine move of the Spirit if they've experienced the counterfeit? And, and remember, you know, the enemy can counterfeit many of these things, just like when Moses went to Pharaoh and God brings signs and wonders through Moses, but then Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate a lot of those things. The enemy loves to counterfeit. He can't do anything original. He can counterfeit though, but that only went to a point as well. So understand that there are replications, counterfeits of these things. So how do we know what's a genuine work of the Spirit? And before we get into that, it seems quite apparent by the focus that Paul is going to have over these next few chapters that a lot of the confusion in the church here at Corinth centered around speaking in tongues. That this was that kind of gift that people were really gravitating towards. It would seem that that was something even that the Corinthians had experienced previously in pagan practices, just as you can see, you know, even uh, certain practices getting done within a, a, a new age movement or some kind of, you know, uh, pagan practice, you know, people speaking in tongues and, and, and doing these things in a, in again, counterfeit way of what God has instructed. So it seems that these were things that they had experienced and seen previously apart from the church. And now they're seeing it developing within the church and they're going, wait a second, what, what's truly right here? How do we know if this is actually from God? They're struggling over these things. Well, Paul begins to lay out some good direction for us here in verse three. Look at what he says. In verse three, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the litmus test then of the genuineness of the gifts would ultimately be does it honor Christ? Does it glorify Jesus? See, nobody who is under the influence of an evil force would ever elevate or promote or praise Jesus. And in the same way, nobody who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit could ever curse Jesus. And there were those that were wondering, uh oh, are we accidentally or mistakenly saying something we shouldn't if we're speaking in tongues in the church? Well, if it's truly the Holy Spirit, then no, that's not gonna happen. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is always to testify of Jesus and to elevate Jesus. Jesus said as much in John 15, verse 26, saying, but when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He will testify of me. The Holy Spirit's role is to magnify Jesus, to promote Jesus to point people to him. In John 16, verse 13 to 15, in like manner, Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to glorify me. He's going to lead you into all truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's going to point people to Jesus. He's going to testify of Jesus and glorify him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. 
You know, we've probably all been around Christians or seen examples where they've appeared to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but yet have not reflected nor glorified Jesus. I've witnessed a lot of abuses or at the least misuses of the gifts of the Spirit, and it grieves my heart. But nor should we be cooked to throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater regarding these things. Just because we've seen perhaps a bad example doesn't mean that, oh, we're going to dismiss the Holy Spirit altogether. I've seen some bad examples of Christians just living like Christ, and it doesn't cause me to say, I better give up on Christ, and if that's the result, not at all. I'm just a Christian that doesn't know better and is not living the way that they should, but we don't dismiss those things. Don't let people who abuse or misuse the gifts of the Spirit cause you to give up on the working of the Spirit or to recognize our need for the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives. So again, let me just kind of summarize this to see some good guidelines for what is a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, first of all, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Because again, as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. We know that the Bible is truth. It's gonna guide you into all truth. So if you're seeing something that's being done in the name of a move of the Spirit, and you go, this doesn't seem biblical. You need to run from that. Now, you know what you'll have perhaps people say, and I've encountered this. There'll be people that'll say, oh, you just can't put God in a box. You ever heard that before? I've heard that. Can't put God in a box. You can't restrict God. Do you guys know that God, in a sense, has somewhat restricted himself through the word of God? Because God is not going to contradict his word. God's put parameters and boundaries around how he's going to operate that's not going to go outside of God's word. So you know that if you see something that is functioning or happening in a way that contradicts scripture, you can go, that's not of the Lord. Regardless if they say, well, don't put God in a box now. Don't restrict the Lord. You know, even at the day of Pentecost, right? When people are gathering together in Jerusalem and the crowds are there and the day that the spirit was poured out and the birth of the church started there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when people saw these things happening, people speaking in tongues, Everybody's going, what is going on? Remember what Peter said? Peter's not going, oh, just don't put God in a box, man. This is a new thing. You can't restrict God. Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter pointed back to scripture. said, this is what God has said through his word is going to come. And this is now the fulfillment of that. Pointed back to the word of God. So is it biblical? Secondly, does it represent Jesus? Again, some people might say, well, the Spirit's really moving, and it becomes a license to just kind of act crazy. I've been. You know, my, my background, for those of you that may not know, my background came out of a, a, a Pentecostal church, and for the most part, was a very conservative Pentecostal church where there weren't a lot of extremes, and then I began a youth pastor at another church and began to see some <laughs> interesting stuff unfolding began to see, you know, people that would be, you know, rolling on the floor, people that were, would be shaking, you know, and, and, and falling down and, and all these crazy things, uh, making animal noises, right? I mean, listen, I know Jesus was born in a barn, but we don't need to keep things that way, right? We can move on. That doesn't need to be the theme of our gatherings together now, does it? And yet that's what 
some have witnessed. And those things, to me, don't reflect Jesus. I don't look at somebody barking like a dog and go, man, that's really drawing me closer to Jesus. That's drawing me closer to the door to get out of here. <laughs> and yet again, this just, this just gets passed on as though, oh, it's a spirit, can't question it. And in no way does that resemble or reflect Jesus or point to Jesus. And that has to become that test for us to go, is this a genuine work of the spirit? Because that, that's not happening in that way. That becomes something that more represents or resembles the new age than it does Jesus. And that becomes a real sign for you to go, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dismiss that. I don't want anything to do with that. So Paul is, is looking to bring people out of this place of ignorance to understanding what is the right practice of the, the move of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, the operation in the church. Now, another thing that they were struggling in was not just ignorance, but individualism. And Paul likes to deal with that now because in the church, again, as was a real problem, people were doing things for themselves. Running to the common meal and jumping the line from people that needed that meal maybe more than they did. People were jumping ahead to feed their own bellies at the expense of others, as we saw last week at the end of chapter 11. People were flaunting their freedoms at the demise of, of hurting others. So Paul would say in, in chapter 10, at, at the end, verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. That's Paul's heart here. And so he's looking to see these gifts operating in a way where it's not about elevating individuals, but again, elevating Jesus and working in a way that profits all. So he says in verse four, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now, let me just go over a couple of different views that, that people have today in the, in the church um, regarding the operation of gifts and, and the use of gifts in the church today. There's two main views. First one is cessationism. And that's the belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased with the end of the apostolic age. They still see the work of the Holy Spirit going on today, but that he does not need to use human vessels to accomplish this. So some of those gifts, um, they, were, they were sign gifts in the early church, uh, like healings, uh, miracles, tongues. These were sign gifts that were to simply be a sign, uh, a credential in a sense, for the apostles to authenticate and approve what they were saying. So as in the, in the birth of the church, and as the gospel is going out into the world where people are seeing this for the first time, the apostles would come, as cessationists would say, and the apostles would come, and through the signs, people would go, man, that's evidence that God is at work here. That's evidence that this gospel, this message must be true. So cessationists would say God used those gifts to validate the message that was being passed out at the beginning of the church. But now that we have the word of God in completion, we no longer need the, the gifts to function in this way. That's a cessationist view. The other side is a continuationist view, continuationism. And that's the understanding that 
the gifts continue today. That's why it's continuation, is it right? Very good. The gifts continue today, and they're to be used for the building up of the church, that they're still in operation, and they're still to be exercised within the church. Now, within continuationism, you have a few different camps. Let's look at those. You have charismatics. Charismatics believe that the gifts are for today, but they need to operate in a biblical manner. Then you have the charismaniacs, all right? It's true. I've seen it, been a part of it. Not, you know, been in those circles. I haven't participated, but believe all, they believe all gifts are for today, but they don't believe that the Bible should regulate those things. And anything goes because you can't put God in a box, like we've said. That's how they would view things. Then you have Pentecostals who, again, believe the gifts are for today. And the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit filling a person would be the speaking in tongues. I do not believe that. I do not believe that speaking in tongues is the evidence of a person that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we'll talk about that at another time. But again, you may have come out of one of these camps and are now maybe very gun-shy regarding the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy when you see extremes on one side to swing to the other extreme on the other side. And I, I tended to do that when I came out of this kind of charismaniac kind of, of grouping and got involved with Calvary Chapel where I saw this balanced view, I kind of swung from the extreme here to the extreme over this side. And I recognized, man, I don't want to dismiss the Holy Spirit due to a, a bad experience I've seen. I, I want to recognize we need the Holy Spirit and I want the Holy Spirit to be active in my life and active in our church. Chuck Smith says this, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you'll dry up. If you have too much of the Holy Spirit, you're going to blow up. <laughs> But if you have the right balance, you will grow up. That's what I want to see happening in my life and in our church today. Not dismissing, but not abusing the work of the Holy Spirit. Saying, I want to write balance. I want a biblical perspective that it might be for the profit of all and for the benefit so that we might grow up in these things. So that's our desire and our aim as we go through this is to really look at a, a biblical view of these things. Now, the word gifts, as Paul says in, in alludes to in verse four, there are diversities of gifts. The word gifts is the Greek word charisma. Charisma, where we get the term charismatic. So when, you know, sometimes we might call all oh, those people are charismatics. So we can use that in a very kind of maybe <laughs> slamming or dismissive way, but it just simply means these are people that believe in the gifts because that's what the word gifts means in the Greek. Charisma. And that word is very similar to the Greek word for grace, charis, where we recognize these, are, these gifts are a grace of God. They've been given to the individual for the building up and the benefit of the church. They're not selected by the individual. We don't choose them. We don't select what we want to do. They're not manufactured by the individual. They're gifts. They're not, they're not natural abilities or talents. They are a gift. They're given by God to you for the benefit of the church. Not for your benefit, for the benefit of the church. Now again, Paul's been contending for the unity in the church. He's been seeing Christians there at Corinth that have been still acting very carnally, very fleshly, 
looking out only for themselves. And so he's having to contend for the unity. Things have been getting out of order. People have been more interested in promoting themselves rather than building one another up. And it would seem that this area of spiritual gifts became another thing that people were using for their own personal gain, to perhaps elevate themselves, to make themselves look really spiritual. Doing so just for their own glory and not for the glory of the Lord. And again, it would seem that people were gravitating to this area of speaking in tongues because Paul's gonna spend a whole chapter, chapter 14, really dealing with that, that gift of speaking in tongues. And so we're really gonna get into it in chapter 14. If you find me just kind of moving on, you're going, I, I hope he talks more about this. And what does he believe about that? Bless you. Um, what does he believe about that? We're gonna get into it, don't worry. All right, chapter 14. I'm hoping that the rapture's gonna come before that, but <laughs> we will get into some of those things eventually. Now, so this area of spiritual gifts seems to be the one thing that people were sort of gravitating to and, and, and looking to operate in because it kind of put them on, on center stage. It put them out where everybody's like stopping, going, ooh, listen to what this guy's saying. He's speaking in a tongue. This, this is amazing, this is incredible. Wow, he's so spiritual. And people were operating to the point where there was competition and pride and in no way was it reflecting in the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, listen, there's diversities of gifts. You don't all need to do the same thing, nor should you be looking to operate in a certain, just understand there's a variety of differing gifts that are all meant to be for the common good. There's not one that's better than the other. They're all important and they're all meant to bless and benefit the church. He says there are, there are differences of ministries. Not only are there are various kinds of gifts, but there's differing ministries. And that's the Greek word diakonos, where we get our word deacon from, like a, a minister or a servant. This, these are areas of service, not platforms to, again, elevate ourselves and go, well, I'm the pastor. Well, I'm an elder here, so you gotta listen to me. It's not, it's not platforms to elevate, they're, they're areas of service, <laughs> We're given. So Paul lists some of them in verse 28, but he'll also list some of them in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, saying that he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So again, people don't have to all do the same thing. That's not the way the body works. That's not the way our physical body works, right? I mean, could you imagine the pinky toe going, you know what, I kinda wanna move on from this position. I don't like it, it's dark, it's stinky here. I wanna move on, I wanna, I wanna be the nose. I wanna be front and center. I want that, I wanna be something that people see, you know, when they come and, and talk to the body, right? I want that pinky toe to be right there. Let's shift things up. That wouldn't work, it wouldn't be good, right? The, the pinky toe is needed, although it seems like it's kind of, you know, in the background, it's still important and needed in the functioning of what it does. Just as the nose is important and needed right where it is. And we can't look to jump, you know, into something that God's not called us to or, or placed us in. Just because we think that's gonna be better for us. We recognize God's got me here for his purposes, for his glory, and for the benefit of the church. And that's what we should be living for, not for our own personal gain in these things. So differences in ministries, but also diversities of activities. And that speaks of different outcomes. See, the word for activities is energema, which we get our word energy from, right? And so what is being said is that it speaks of the effects or the results, which might be different even from the same gift. 
You might have a person that's gifted in the area of evangelism, right? And they go off and they're sitting in a coffee shop and they begin to strike up a conversation with somebody and they share the gospel and that person gets saved. Awesome. But then you might have another person who's operating the gift of evangelism that holds a crusade, shares the gospel, and a thousand people respond. You don't look at the person in the coffee shop and go, man, you're a real failure. Look at this person over here. He's saving a thousand people. You've only got one. See, Paul says there's differences of or diversity of activities and results, but it's God that works all in all. That result is not because that person did something wrong or is more of a failure than this person over here. That's the result that God intended for that gift in that person to operate in, whereas he's gonna use that gift perhaps different with a different result over here. And again, we don't have to sit here and go, I wanna be doing that. We go, man, I wanna be faithful in how God has gifted me and how he's using me and the results are all his anyways they're not up to it's not up to us we don't take credit for what happens it's god that works all in all he brings the results so there's diversities of activities results now notice something here and i like this gonna give you a little test here verses there's a there's a common word that paul is using here in verse four it's used in verse five it's used in verse six it's used in verse eight it's used twice in verse nine, and it's used in verse 11. A common word, one word that we see here. What is that common word, people? You said it. What was it? Same. Somebody said it. Who said same? Thank you. The, the 830 service men, they were like slow on that. You guys got it much better. Well done, 10 o'clock. Well done. Those of you in the 830 service, yeah, you're still sleeping a little bit. I understand. But notice what Paul's doing is emphasizing that there's the sameness. There's a, a purpose in these gifts to bring us all together in unity. That's an area that the church was struggling in, my friends. It's an area that we can easily struggle in if we fail to recognize what God's purpose is in working in us and through us. It's for the sameness of the body of Christ to build one another up. There may be differing gifts, differing ministries, differing activities, but it's the same spirit, same Lord, and same God. In fact, Paul mentions the whole Trinity in this. Why? Because I believe within the Trinity, we have a wonderful illustration and picture of unity in diversity. You see, they're all equally, ha have been eternally existent as God in full equality, but yet there's diversity in the roles and the functioning of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God the Father sent the Son into the world. The Son comes into the world to die and be sacrificed for the salvation of the world. The Holy Spirit then is sent into the world to fill and empower believers to live out this Christian life for the Lord. The Father adopts us. The Son is interceding for us. The Spirit is indwelling and empowering us to live out this life for Him. There is unity in how they operate, but there's great diversity. One God but eternally existed in three distinct persons. And it's the way that the church is to operate. We're to be one body, the body of Christ, but there's great diversity in the, in the body. We don't have to be doing the same thing. We should be working in a way where each person, person is contributing and adding to the betterment and the building up of the body. All to the glory of God. Amen. That's the purpose here, my friends, that's what Paul is pointing them to in these things. And it's the way that it should be taking place, especially re regarding gifts. Verse seven, lastly, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
So the Spirit distributes to each person. I believe every person. God wants to equip and, and grace you with a gift that you operate in. Some gifts we're gonna see, uh, I believe, are, are operational gifts where that's the way that, that God you know, uses us. They're continuing gifts in our lives. And some gifts are, are, are you know, given for a specific time and purpose. I wanna be one that operates in, in all the gifts but I don't believe I'm gonna possess all the gifts at once. And we're gonna talk a bit about that as we continue on. But gifts are given, he gives to each one, but he gives for the profit of all, not for the profit of the individual. Let's get our minds off of individualism as what was going on in the church, and that's what Paul is dealing with here. We understand we're just a part of the, the greater whole, and our lives are to be contributing to the profit of all and to the glory of God. Gifts are tools to be building with, not toys to play with. They're not for our benefit, for the benefit of the church. So may we not be afraid and dismissive of the Spirit. May we recognize our need for the filling of the Holy Spirit and for it to be a daily work and for us to be operating in a biblical manner regarding gifts. Now, you might be wondering, well, we haven't got into them yet. What is biblical manner? We're gonna talk about that coming up, all right? We'll get into that next week as we look at specific gifts and, and how they're to be exercised and operated in, all right? So we'll deal with that next week. Uh, until then, read ahead and uh, keep walking in the Spirit, my friends, all right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time together. Just to, to look at your word, it's such an important topic, a needed topic today. And we do declare that we need you spirit we we need you desperately to be filling us and empowering us we can't live these lives unto ourselves or through our own means but jesus you said you not left us as orphans you're going to send the helper the paracletos the one that's going to come alongside and not just come alongside but who will dwell in us and and fill us and empower us for service and i pray that we would experience that this week lead us on from here and may we live lord not unto ourselves but unto you to glorify you and to build up the church here together so we ask these things in your name jesus amen